Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. This is going out in December 2018. I, I, I really can't believe it's December. I knew it was coming and then it was like, bang, December's here. But actually, I feel okay in that. Uh, I've seen one lot of family over the weekend, given them a load of presents calmly bought them they arrived just in time calmly wrapped them that process was quite enjoyable actually um, but I know that this can be a tricky time for you if you are at a place on your trying to conceive journey I keep using that word sorry where you're going to be around family they're going to be asking you questions that you don't necessarily want to answer you might not want to see friends and family and you might not feel like partying so what I hope to give you over the next couple of weeks is support with my content and with the different stuff I've got going on on my social media if this is your first visit to the fertility podcast if you go to the fertilitypodcast.com to the search box and type in Christmas, then I've previously done some episodes about coping mechanisms for this festive season because, as I've just said, you might not be in the place that you want to be in right now and having to be happy and jolly and be drinking and whatever uh, might not be what you need. You might hate Christmas anyway, but if you love Christmas... But because of what's going on in your world, Christmas seems tainted. That's hard enough to deal with. If you've not heard my story before, we had to have ICSI treatments. Our little boy will turn four in March. We were told on the 23rd of December. And that Christmas, gosh, I remember really vividly that my other half and I just kept taking ourselves away from the kind of family hubbub and normally we're both like stuck in drinking and partying and we were both kind of in shock at what we'd been told and how we'd been told because we weren't told very sensitively and we did complain actually about that exchange with a consultant and if you ever have uh, an uncomfortable conversation feel free to speak up about it either to the HFEA if you're in the UK or if there is a governing body where you are that regulates clinics or even if you just want to go directly to that clinic never feel that you can't speak up if how you've been spoken to isn't how you would like to be spoken to it's one thing that we really learned um, from from that experience so this episode that I'm going to share with you is the story of a lady called Jules Furness, who I've met on Instagram. And as well as my expert interviews, if you are just listening to me for the first time, I, I like to hear your stories, where you're at, what's going on. And Jules is someone that I've been watching on Instagram and on, on YouTube for a while because she's got quite a presence on both. And I was keen to catch up with her, especially as what you'll hear us talk about is maybe the downside of sharing where you're at on social media Jules has had an interesting experience of late and I was keen to catch up to find out how she felt about it. She basically got some negative comments and I was really impressed with how she dealt with it and I wanted her to just explain it more to give you an insight. I know that more and more of us are sharing on social media, whichever your chosen platform is, um, whether you're starting to blog more, vlog more and I hope that you just get positive comments back but it's not always the case I've been fortunate to have the odd challenging comment but nothing nasty Jules however did get some nasty stuff so so here she is explaining more about it you've now been through 
how many cycles? Multiple cycles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Five cycles were together. Five cycles, and at this point, you haven't had success. No. And I know that recently you shared a video about your 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 latest cycle and how that hadn't worked, and was quite surprised at the reaction because you've actually experienced some negativity, which I, I was I was quite surprised and and was like really felt for you because you could really hear and see the emotion of of you talking mm-hmm. about it. So just talk to me a bit about that and how you've been dealing with it because ultimately, you know, you've you've put yourself out there talking about something which in itself is brave but it has I suppose sadly an element of risk because we all know about trolls in this day and age of, mm-hmm. of, of the internet but I'm assuming it was quite unexpected the reaction that you got yeah I guess I guess I was a bit naive because I've had years of not having too much negativity I've kind of been in a nice supportive bubble mm. and I think in a, any other time I probably would have coped with it a little bit better but because it came right as we were finding out our cycle had failed it was just a bit too much that day I I literally deleted photos I made videos private I was like I'm not going to do this anymore because it just felt like they'd attacked the most personal thing that had just happened to me and it was only a few people compared to you know the thousands that are really supportive but at the time they just feel like they filled the room I ended up taking uh, a few weeks off just yeah, didn't really share anything about IVF at all and just wanted to take some time to think about what to do. There was a couple of things that really changed my mind on it and made me come back. One was just the support from the people that were following. I'd put a post up to say what happened and I had like 400 comments of just people saying how things had made a difference to them and I never really think about that side of it. Every now and again you get a message from people that will say nice things and you kind of think that's lovely but it kind of doesn't sink in. So yeah, that was amazing. And then also I listened to a talk from Breen Brown. It's like a TED talk, I think. And it was about vulnerability oh, and I, how... Have you got her book? You need to have that yes. book as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I've got one of them, yeah. Oh, she, she's brilliant. She's so funny as well. And yeah, she was talking about vulnerability and how by letting yourself be vulnerable, you actually then can find your support system and you actually become stronger and you make other people stronger. And it just really kind of made me feel like, you know what, I need, it's okay to feel vulnerable and it's okay to feel a bit scared at times and to take a step back sometimes. Um, But as long as you kind of keep going and the benefits outweigh the negativities, I guess. So I feel like I can kind of let it wash over me a bit better now. Oh, good for you because it is a kind of personal attack. I mean, I I know from kind of the work I've done in in radio the need to have a thick skin when people quite openly might voice something about you that they don't like and you try not to take it personally because they don't actually know you Um, but you can't help but take it personally and especially when you've been sharing something so personal in a Mm. public place it's on the one hand it is naive but on the other hand it's just nasty and it's it's what you have to then look at is that that person would not say that to your face. You know, they're only saying it because they're hiding behind the Internet. Yeah. And I think there's always there's something going on for them behind it. Um, there's some kind of sadness for them if they feel like they need to. So just be nasty, like constructive criticism is brilliant. It can make you better. It can help you understand what's going on for other people. But when it's just nastiness, I just think there's something sad going on for them. And yeah. I think when I see it that way, I can kind of, it doesn't make it right, but at least I can kind of, yeah, let it go. There's so much more happening in this space. And I know you've been doing mm. it for some time now. So I kind of wanted to gauge 
when you started really um i i've been in this space four years with my podcast and i think you've been a good few years now haven't you i must be yeah three or four years i think it's it's changed crazy amount because like remember when i first started it and and first spoke about things the only people that i kind of could compare to speaking publicly about it was like in America. Yeah. I couldn't really find anybody, especially that was doing a video like diary and actually showing things rather than talking. So it was really scary at the time, but now there's loads of people and it's it's a really supportive place and you can get loads of information and ideas from other people now. So at what point did you start? Because you work with video anyway, so that was quite a natural thing for you to use in the same way I'm a radio person, so audio for me was natural. Did you start documenting at the point that you found out there was an issue? Well, weirdly, I had nothing to do with video when I first started. Oh, like okay. I never edited a video. So so I was, I was diagnosed with my premature ovarian failure when I was 15. And then I kind of spent my, my 20s in this bubble of feeling different and grieving and just not being no confidence whatsoever um and I went for some counseling in my late 20s and that kind of started to make me talk to friends and family more about it and realize that especially speaking to friends or like colleagues at work that they'd go oh yeah me too <laughs> and realizing this I wasn't that different right. and actually there was more people out there um and then we adopted we brought our son home and my husband's in the army so he was away quite a lot and we decided like I made little videos for him so he wasn't missing out on all that stuff that we've been looking forward to um and um yeah I just was watching other vloggers on YouTube and kind of thought maybe I'll put one out there and see what happens really scary but I remember like getting a couple of comments and being like wow I've kind of like made friends on the internet um, and it just grew from there, really. I A year or so later, I think it was, I joined Channel Mum as a sponsored vlogger. Um, so it kind of became a job, um, which then led to me editing for them full time and giving up my vlogging contract. So now I kind of just do it for, I guess, fun and a hobby and to help other people. So you started sharing about your adoption journey or the fact that you had become a mum and you were being more of a mommy blogger. Were you talking about that route? Um, so I had just been sharing like a week in the life up until then. And I just was getting questions from people about things like, what's your birth and labor story? And um, and I felt like I didn't want to lie, um, partly just for myself, but also for my son. I didn't want him to watch things back and think, why did she feel like ashamed or something about how we were made? So we had a chat about what we would share online and wouldn't share online because obviously I'm quite protective of him and his story mm. and um yeah decided okay just the fact that we're a family by adoption we'll start there um and we were thinking about trying for a sibling via IVF so I mentioned that and it just kind of grew from there I just kind of tested the waters with that first and like pressing the submit button on that video was terrifying <laughs> But yeah, it was really, really supportive, like the reaction that we had and a lot of people saying that they had been there too or they wanted to understand more about it. So then I decided I would share the IVF stuff because I feel like that's that's more mine and my husband's story. I feel like we've got more of a right to share that than the adoption stuff. Sure. Let's just talk a bit about the place that you'd found yourself in because you'd written about the idea of shame after multiple IVF cycles mm -hmm. and I want to just talk to you a bit about that because I haven't really had that conversation and and how it's made you feel and I suppose how you've been protecting yourself. I get, well, it really shocked me because going for counselling in my 20s was a lot of that was about letting go of the shame of 
infertility and I really felt like I had left that behind um and I was shocked that when we when this cycle failed it was almost like in my head I was like oh my god people are going to think you're you're so infertile that even IVF five times can't work for you it wasn't until I went to the fertility show and was around a lot of other people that have been in the same place and realized I wouldn't let them feel that way so why am I letting myself feel that way Mm. but that started to drop and it was literally that day that I was sat at the end of fertility show on my phone putting my videos back live because I was like no I'm not going to feel this way I think part of it comes you know just from ourselves because we've been through so much by that many cycles and the self-blame that can kind of come along with that and I think the other part comes from society maybe and some of the comments that I'd had which were very much like you should just give up now and it's just not going to work for you and that you're desperate and that misunderstanding that people have and I was saying in the video that people that don't have fertility problems they get there 12 times a year to try and conceive and every time they ovulate each month but if somebody has 12 times of IVF that's frowned upon and that's not really very fair you're just trying to have your amount of tries as well yeah so. that's, that's a that's a very justified argument actually I hadn't even thought of it like that when you put the numbers down yeah and I think you, you were just trying to have the same chance as everybody else and um it's a medical condition at the end of the day and if your arm didn't work you people would support you in finding out why does your arm not work and I just want to find out why my my room isn't working so so I mean obviously you you had that diagnosis as a teenager and so Mm -hmm. where you're at with the conversations that you're having is there conversations about using a donor or is it is it standard IVF that you're having is there something going on with the protocol that has been changed through the different five cycles um we've always used donor eggs because I don't have any um which is something that I kind of came to terms with in my my 20s so huge as well to have to come to terms with in itself it was yeah it was at the time I think I mean because we've adopted since it makes it a lot easier for me because I totally know that I can love a child that isn't genetically mine so um yeah now I can to me that's just an almost like another form of adoption in a way um (laughs) protocol wise they never seem to change it very much um the last couple of cycles we um, insisted on NK cell testing and um, yeah, some of the other immune tests and found that I did have higher NK cells. So that was then um, tackled with steroids. When I got to my um, what the f- appointment, am I allowed to swear on this? <laughs> uh, well, I can bleep it out. It's fine. I could have a little bleep. Good. Carry on. Yeah, when we got to that appointment, I was really disappointed that there was no imagination there. They hadn't prepared with my notes beforehand. I was asking questions that he was kind of having to ruffle through these notes and I didn't feel like they were very supportive at all. And have you stayed at the same clinic each cycle? No. We had Bourne Hall first, which was on the NHS. And then we went to Prague, which all went horribly wrong and then we were at, oh, um, it was Aurora Manchester but some of the treatments took place at care it was kind of a weird system because it was under insurance so yeah I don't really feel like we've ever had a consultant that I've been like yeah really trust this person and they're really thinking outside the box yeah we've been a bit scared to go abroad again but I think that's what we probably need to do this time we're looking at a couple of clinics in Spain and try and decide whether that's the route we go down next 
I don't want to go into too much detail with the the previous experience of going abroad unless you're happy to. No, um, it's fine. I'm okay. fine with it. What what went wrong? <sighs> Where do I start? <laughs> so we went to Prague, which was a bit of a it was a scary experience to go abroad anyway, but it's something we kind of just went along with and thought we'll try and make this a bit of a family holiday kind of thing at the same time, um, and we'll make the best of it. However, when we got to one of the scans there they saw a shadow on the scan and they said oh we think you've got an early pregnancy now for somebody that has been told at 15 that they will never have this that was just overwhelming to take on board right. um and they left us for i think it was three days um not knowing the test results of oh, whether goodness. whether we were or not i think we, we ended up going out and trying in broken english nope Prague-ish. Prague-ish, that's going to think what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, to get pregnancy tests and do it at home, but then still in our minds, like, what if they've said this? Eventually they said, no, you're not. Um, I asked what it was, and they said, oh, I think it's just some a blood clot in the room. So I was lucky that I have kind of a sister-in-law in the UK who, who knows all about obstetrics and stuff. So we sent her a copy of the scan, and she said, no, it looks like water on the outside of the room. And I was looking at the scan thinking, that looks different to the one that I actually saw on the screen. So I was a bit suspicious, but I think it's my hormones. I'm just being over the top about all of this. We went ahead with the treatment because we had Ebro's there and waiting. And I kind of always felt like there was something that wasn't quite right with all this. About a year later, we went for a scan over here in the UK and they found a polyp and it was very big by then. And the specialist there said this would have been there back then is the size of it. So they missed it. Well, we then found out from talking to them and asking them about it, they admitted that they'd known about it and just decided not to tell me. <gasps> yeah, wow. they just said, oh, they kind of thought it was in my best interest. But getting opinion, medical opinions over here, they've said that could have reduced the chances of it working. Plus the fact that polyps can be cancerous. So there's something you should know about to be able to get treated with. Yeah. So yeah, quite shocking. <laughs> but I did push them and we eventually got some of the money back. But I mean, it scares me every time somebody mentions going there in a forum or anything like that. I'm right. like, oh my God. <laughs> have, you, have you talked about, the, have you named them in your YouTube, in your vlogs? Yeah. 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 I said to them that I was going to do a video and I said, do you want to like do a statement that I'll link to, you know, to, in fairness kind of thing? And then they just sent me a letter that sort of said sorry, but also said the bottom was not to be shared. <laughs> so I was like, right. okay, okay, do the video then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <A bit> random. <laughs> Okay, so obviously that's affected your emotional take on treatment abroad. From the sounds of how the journey's gone, and I'm sorry to use the word journey because it is a bit cliche, but it, it's, it's a good description. You seem to have worked quite a lot on your mindset. And mm -hmm. my previous episode was a lot about the mind-body link. And by no means was it saying relax and it will work. It wasn't at mm -hmm. all, but it was talking about the power of the psychological effects of where you're at when you are going through this and having had failed cycles and having had quite scary experiences with the different treatment how would you describe how you manage your approach to whatever you decide to do next knowing what you've experienced so far taking time I think is one of the key things like I always feel like I need to plan straight away because I feel like I need to be doing something and have like a light at the end of the tunnel in it I suppose but I don't let myself actually make a decision and book anything for quite a few months afterwards because I know now 
one, it takes ages for the hormones to get out of my system to be able to think clearly. And then two, just my emotions settling down and really knowing what I want out of life. So I think the main thing is taking time. Um, and the second thing is I'm not scared to book myself in with a counsellor for a few sessions. <laughs> Um, if, when I first went in my 20s I was terrified I thought oh god I'm gonna have to sit here and it'd be silent and I'll have to like tell her my deepest secrets and it's not like that whatsoever I've had like CBT I found really useful and I think I think just taking time to enjoy life and find joy in life each time in between mm. um it's easier for me now I think because of having my son but before that um it was a lot harder but Again, it's finding the really small things in life that can be a joy or spending time with friends and just taking yourself out of the constant pressure of IVF. And and obviously with you sharing it as part of, not your day job, but as part of most of your days, um, you, you're, you're, you're in this space, putting something out there. Do you find then that the conversations with your friends are focused on it or do, have you got to that point where people know to talk about it if you bring it up or it's managed? Like my main job is I'm a video editor by day and then I'm doing all the normal stuff with my friends and family and then I sometimes post a video. <laughs> right. that's, how, that's how it feels like to me. Because it's not my job, I suppose, there's no pressure on it. Yeah. So I can choose to not post some days if I don't feel like talking about IVF or for, feel like just sharing anything at all and I can take a step back from it I think that's actually really important that I haven't built everything around just infertility because it would drive me crazy to have that there every day and I think there's some women that are sharing stuff on it every day and they are so strong to do that because I I couldn't (laughs) I think that's such a good point I think that's so kind of vital with any of this with this amazing community that there is that it's down to you to decide what and when you share how much how little um otherwise like exactly how you said it 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 can be all-consuming and it 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 doesn't Mm -hmm. need to be it should be there to help and help you feel less alone when it suits you I I I think I feel quite strongly about that and everything can be a trigger as well your emotions so things like I have a personal Instagram account where I don't follow anything to do with infertility so it's like home stuff and things because there's some days I think your brain just needs a break from thinking about anything heavy like that so I think I think it's important to give your your brain a break. So as far as where you're at now, having been to the Fertility Show, we're speaking near the end of November. We're heading into Christmas. I saw your Christmas decorations have gone up on your Insta. <laughs> I was a bit envious of the um, black wall with a reindeer. That looked amazing. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'll put yours Insta um, details on the show notes so you can have a little uh, nosy round. <laughs> so as far as what next, and by all means, if you don't know just say but um mm-hmm. have you have you thought about what, what you want to do next yeah I mean, we're thinking about doing IVF again we have spoken to two clinics in Spain but I don't want to make a decision until after Christmas I think I just need to have a break from it all for a little while and also that we need to save anyway yeah. <laughs> and also I have a female adoption agencies as well so I'm kind of like in two minds about things it's just so much to think about when you already have a child as well I think the effects on them of both ways but yeah we will try again in some way but we'll like decide in the new year I think and there's no there's no time pressure which is good to hear you say yeah I I mean I still feel like (laughs) there's a bit of pressure that we we do try a couple of things next year because I'm 36 but 
at the same time I'm not going to do that at the detriment of everything that I do have yeah so yeah it's kind of a it's a weird balance between protecting everything that I do have but then trying to step outside the comfort zone to yeah give my little boy a sibling at some point all right well look I will put all the links to how people can find more about what the content you've already shared and where you're mm -hmm. at and I wish you the best of luck with whatever Thank happens you. next no it was really lovely to chat because I was just quite curious having seen your feed and and seen some of what you do and then obviously when you shared about that negative side and I, I I suppose I wanted just to hear how you were dealing with it as as maybe a little bit of guidance for other people because I feel that the sh there's been a real shift there's much more conversation happening about this and it's encouraging people to talk more about it which is great mm -hmm. but I do think that we do need to self-protect if we're putting <laughs> our hearts out in this space and and that's why I just wanted your kind of your thoughts and your advice on it really yeah I think a lot of it is is about just doing things in your way don't feel like you have to share as much as somebody else has shared or do it in the way that it should just do what feels right for you yeah. and then you'll be fine <laughs> exactly well look Jules Merry Christmas and you <laughs> lovely to chat and thank um, you and yeah and a happy new year and hopefully I'll catch up with you in the new year thank you bye bye before I give you Jaws' details, I just want to remind you of the ultimatefertilityguide.com, which is a directory that I've created to start to put all fertility services in one place. And what I'm also doing is doing video interviews with different experts from the people that are listed within the guide to give you more content to watch if you like watching stuff on YouTube and we're going to be kicking them off again in the new year doing some of them on Facebook as live streams for you to be able to ask them questions the experts that I'm speaking to so do keep an eye on my socials do join my closed Facebook group Talk Fertility because that's where a lot of them are going to be happening because I know that when I've done them on my Fertility Podcast Facebook page some of you haven't been keen to comment which is completely fair enough so I might put them behind the closed for the comments and then share them if you're uncomfortable in any way about commenting on anything that I do live because you don't want it showing up in your feed then just let me know it's absolutely completely understandable I get it um, but I'm still keen to share these kind of chats in a live way to enable you to have access to the people that I'm speaking to otherwise what I am going to be doing so keep an eye on my social media is asking you to put forward some questions to some of the people that I'm going to be doing these interviews for so they will be starting from the week of the 14th of January and I'll remind you on my social media which I'll put the details uh, of at the end of this episode when I give you the show notes but first of all here's a bit about one of my sponsors if you're looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive Pregnacare Conception and Wellman Conception provide advanced nutritional support they include zinc vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the UK Department of Health Pregnant Care is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby. And to find out more, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop. Okay, so the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Jules, J-U-L-E-S. And one thing that Jules forgot to say, because she's so humble and brilliant, is that all the profits from her YouTube channel go to Fertility Network, IVF Babble and Corum. And part of the proceeds from every IVF journal and the pack of IVF milestone cards that she sells on her Hope Squad website, which I'll put the details of in the show notes, uh, also go to those charities. She didn't even talk about the 
the milestone cards to me. I, I completely forgot to ask her about them. So go and check out the different stuff that Jules has created on the show notes. Her social media stuff is all there as well. I mentioned before about my closed Facebook page, which is Talk Fertility. Do check that out. You can follow me on Insta at Fertility Poddy. It's the same for Twitter. And my Facebook page is The Fertility Podcast. And it'd be ace to hear what you think, how you are, where you're at. I've got a newsletter you can sign up to at the fertilitypodcast.com website. There's loads of ways of getting in touch. couple of things if you've been enjoying this podcast and you haven't yet subscribed you can do that via whatever the podcast app that you listen to it is and if you get a chance to review it it just helps other people know that this is worth them listening to and that they can trust it and something that I haven't mentioned for a while because I feel a bit funny about it but I was at a podcast gathering the other day and if you are in Manchester by any chance and you're listening to this in real time I'm sharing this episode with you on Monday the 3rd of December this Wednesday the 5th I'm actually hosting a panel event in central Manchester at a place called WeWork which is all about podcasting it's all about growing your podcast audience if you are wanting to start a podcast if you're doing a podcast already and you want some tips and you're in Manchester that would be amazing come along and let me know that you heard me talk about it because that would just be ace With that in mind, one of the other things that I do to promote this podcast is you can become a patron of it. So if, for example, you've found this podcast really helpful and you want to do something maybe a bit different with your pennies this Christmas, you can always become a patron of my podcast and support it in a way that means you could donate like the cost of a coffee a month to my podcast and it helps me continue to make it because whilst I'm gradually getting more sponsors involved which is ace it's still a labor of love and I do it aside my day job and try to keep it going by coming up with different ways of getting other people to support it and I don't really like asking you because this podcast is for you I want the people that can help you ideally to get behind the podcast so they can help you and help me help you But, you know, if you feel like showing your support and being a patron, you can do. I'll put the, again, the the link on the show notes for this. And it's very straightforward. And you get a shout out in the podcast and stuff like that. I I love you for staying with me on this journey. And I love hearing from you. So always do get in touch. My email is natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. And if all this information is too much, just go to the show notes. Okay, thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash jewels. If, like me, you're celebrating Hannah, Happy Hanukkah and until the next time.